So what's special about this weekend? We already know that. Veterans Day. I was sitting up front with eyes forward, so I didn't see. So I'm going to ask, again, those of you who are veterans of the military, would you please raise your hand? Keep those up. Keep, keep, keep them up, please, just for a moment. Those of us here who have family members that are veterans, please raise your hand. Keep them up. Those of you who have made a pledge to be a citizen of the United States and therefore depend and honor those who protect the Constitution of this country, raise your hand. To all of you, I give you thanks let us give thanks to those who served. <clears throat> so this is kind of odd because I'm actually using a music stand, which I don't like. Um, but that's okay, I'm going to wander around anyway. I just have this up here because there's a few notes that I, I don't want to forget. So yeah, so yesterday was Veterans Day. Um, does anybody know the history of Veterans Day? How did we get there and what, what is it all about? Um, audience participation during a sermon usually doesn't go over very well uh, because everybody thinks that the right answer is Jesus. <sighs> you know, um, that's not necessarily true all the time. I mean, Jesus is the uh, Never mind. So, Veterans Day, just to give you a little history because, well, let's be honest, we, we forget. So, let's take a journey quickly to refresh our memory. What is... Veterans Day all about. So Veterans Day, November 11. Do you know how we even got to November 11? Well, we got to November 11 because at the 11th hour on the 11th day of the 11th month of the year 1918, hostilities came to an end between Germany and the Allies. The 11th hour of the 11th month of the 11th day, hostilities came to an end. And that became known as Armistice Day. Armistice Day, is really, it's really important to understand the difference between armistice and treaty. Armistice literally means we all agree to stop shooting each other. A treaty has all kinds of terms about how the surrendering party is going to behave and how the victorious party is going to behave. This is just to say, look, we're done. At that particular time, folks, hmm, we have forgotten how horrific and how horrendous World War I was. It was the first time the entire globe had been involved in war. And some of the machinations, some of the chemicals, some of the ammunitions, some of the hand-to-hand -hand fighting was the most horrendous that human history has ever seen. Many men returned to the United States, those who survived, Many returned with wounds that would never heal. They were lamed. They were maimed. And so when the armistice came, it was a great thing to bring an end to such hostilities. The treaty wasn't actually signed until June of 1919. But then, in November of 1919, Woodrow Wilson, who was president at the time, declared that on the 11th of November, from that point on, the United States was going to recognize Armistice Day as a day to honor those who died. 
and honored those around the world, not just the U.S., but the U.S. would take a particular focus to honor all countries who were involved in bringing an end to the war and recognize the peace and the justice that that war, regrettably, but what that war brought to the world. It wasn't until 1938, though, that there was an actual law passed, and that law then established Armistice Day as the holiday in the United States to recognize World War I veterans. But it was still called Armistice Day. For those of you who know your uh, world history, things did not become any better after World War I. We had to endure other wars. We had to endure World War II, the Korean War. And then in 1954, there was another law passed that said, you know, because we have veterans of all kinds of wars, we're going to remove Armistice Day and we're going to make it Veterans Day. By the way, that's Veterans Day without the apostrophe. So, in your bulletin, there's an apostrophe, and that's my mistake. I guess I should have read before I typed. But in 1954, the law was passed that made Veterans Day the day that we recognize all veterans. Then in the 1960s, there was a law passed that said, you know what? We need to make sure that federal, and you're thinking, where in the world is this going? But give me a moment. In 1965, there was a law passed that says, we want to make sure that federal employees have a three-day holiday for four holidays, four federal holidays. And one of those days was Veterans Day. Now, when that law was passed, it was, we need to make sure that we have three-day holidays. So, November 11th is going to fall across all kinds of days of the week, depending on what year, and it's really tough to get a three-day weekend in on a Tuesday, although I've worked with people who have managed to pull that one off. <laughs> Seriously, three-day weekends, they were eight days. How did that happen? But because of that law, interestingly enough, if it's interesting at all, Veterans Day, the first time that we celebrated Veterans Day after that law was passed was on October 25th. Now, what do you think that did to all kinds of parades and celebrations? It's like, that's even before Thanksgiving, I mean, Halloween, that, we can't do that. So, in 1975, Gerald Ford, president at the time, signed a law that said, you know what, from this point on, regardless when it falls, Veterans Day will always be on November 11. And so on November 11, 1978, Veterans Day became permanent on November 11. Bet you all didn't know that, did you? And I'm going to ask how many care, but I don't want to see the hands, so never mind. But then the real question is, why? I mean, who, who cares? I mean, the wars are all done. Um, yeah, it was tragic. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, people died. But really, who cares? Because what does that have to do with us now? I mean, we're not really at war. We're not really at threat. And yeah, they were fine. And uniforms are great. But, 
you know, let's admit, the military is pretty expensive, and, well, there's all kinds of things going on in the military, and I don't know. Who cares? Why should we honor them anyway? Well, it begs the question, what makes a veteran? What makes a veteran? Now, the definition in the United States Code, Title 38, Yes, I stayed up to memorize the U.S. Code. But Title 38 of the U.S. Code says that a veteran is one who has or continues to serve in full-time active military duty until discharged or released under conditions other than dishonorable. That's the definition of a veteran, military veteran. But you know what it doesn't tell us? It doesn't tell us what makes a veteran. What makes a veteran? What what empowers or encourages a man or a woman to say, I'm leaving my home, I'm leaving my parents, I'm leaving my friends, I'm leaving my spouse, I'm leaving my children, and I'm going to the far corners of the world. I'm going to learn how to kill people. I'm going to learn how to protect our Constitution. I'm going to sacrifice all of this for something much larger. What drives a person to do that? Courage? (laughs) Yeah. Strength? Well, I suppose if you're on the front lines, but if you're serving, you know, behind the scenes such as, oh, I don't know, payroll, maybe you don't need to do a thousand push-ups in 30 seconds, but you still need focus. You need to know that you're doing the right thing for the, you're doing the right thing in the right way for the right reason. So what makes a veteran? I have four characteristics. See what you think. Number one, it takes faith. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not thinking Jesus' faith. See, not every answer is Jesus. I told you before. But it takes faith. It takes a conviction that something out in the future is attainable. In fact, it is a conviction, it's a belief that it already exists in some way, shape, or form, and we just have to get there. Think about it. Kathy and I were married on the celebration of D-Day, June 6th. Not on d come on, not on D-Day, the celebration of D-Day. But for those of us who can remember D-Day, do you honestly believe that those soldiers that were on that land, those landing crafts on their way to the shores, do you honestly believe they were sitting there and asking themselves, gee, I don't know if we can do this? Maybe. But it was the conviction that we were there for the right reason. There was a conviction that despite the cliffs of Dover, that despite the German artillery, that despite the fact that they were on the low ground and the Germans were on the high ground, they had a faith, a conviction that this was attainable. It was an ideal, but faith made it real. The second characteristic is focus. They had laser vision. We have to keep our eyes on the prize. We can't be distracted by the circumstances. We cannot be distracted by our own fear. We cannot be distracted by fill in the blank. Why? 
because the promise of the future outweighs the problems of the present. You got that? The promise of the future outweighs the problems of the present. A third characteristic, fellowship. They were all in it together. Band of brothers. Have you seen it? Do you know what it's about? It's the whole idea that whether by squadron, whether by battalion, whether by division, what, whatever division of military groups they were in, they were in it together. They literally were a band. of. Sometimes they were. Sometimes they were brothers serving together side by side. Otherwise, they were figuratively brothers. Whether in a foxhole, whether in a trench, whether in a tank, whether on a boat, whether in a plane, or whether in an office. Fellowship. All for one, one for all. By the way, sidetrack. You ever heard that phrase before? Where? Where have you heard it? Oh, I'm going to love this part. Where have you heard that? The Musketeers, of course. That's not where it came from. Believe it or not, Shakespeare. That is attributed to Shakespeare in a poem that he wrote while the theaters were being shut down due to the bubonic plague. He could no longer write plays because they couldn't be acted, so he began to write sonnets and poems. And in one of his poems, he introduces this phrase, one for all and all for one. Dumas liked it and put it into the mouth of the three musketeers. And now Dumas is famous for it, but it belongs to Shakespeare. You didn't know this is why you came to church, right? By the way, if you take that same phrase and you turn it into Latin, that's the motto for the country of Switzerland. How's that for trivia? But the fourth one, so we have faith, we have focus, we have fellowship. The fourth one is finish. There's a goal. There's some place we're going to be. There's a place we need to be. And along with a finish comes a finisher, a leader. Whether that's a sergeant, whether that's a lieutenant, whether that's a captain or a general, or an admiral, it doesn't matter, but there's someone who has gone before, someone who has endured, someone who has developed the confidence, someone who has developed the strength, someone who has developed the leadership skills to be able to go forward and wave on and say, we can make this, we can finish this, we can attain the goal. Those things, my friends, I believe make a veteran. Faith, focus, fellowship, And finishing the job. Finisher. Which, by the way, if that's true, there's more to being a veteran than just being in the military. The definition of being a veteran is anyone who has sustained long experience in a field or a profession or a service. So, we have veteran teachers. We have veteran performers. We have veteran fill-in-the-blank. That's why the church 
has its own version of Veterans Day. Did you know that? The church has its own version of Veterans Day. Anybody know what it's called? No. Who? What? What? All Saints Day. Now, you see, for many of us, we are so Presbyterian and so Reformed (laughs) that when we hear anything that smacks of Catholic Catholic Church, baby out with the bathwater. But All Saints Day doesn't belong just to the Roman Church. All Saints Day belongs to the church. And that's our version of Veterans Day. Now, a little history about Veterans Day for the church. All Saints Day is on November 1st, which is the day after Halloween, which is this, a, 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 a smashing together of the words All Hallowed Eve, And all hallowed is just a fancy way of saying all saints. So Halloween really is just the night before All Saints Day. And here's what's interesting. Halloween is a multi-billion dollar business. How many people do you see happy All Saints Day in their yard the next day? Not many. You know why? Because we see Halloween stuff in their yard until Christmas. And for those of you that still have Halloween stuff in your yard, I'm sorry, not meant to be an insult, just saying. All Saints Day came, comes to us uh, from the 7th century. So we've got to go all the way back to 7th century, where the Roman emperor at that time picks, uh, the, the Roman emperor got to pick the pope at that time. <laughs> Imagine that, government def- deciding what the religion's going to do, but you know, that's a different topic for a different moment. But the emperor at that time chose a pope and said to the pope, I'm going to honor you by giving you this fabulous pantheon. Now, for those of you who who do not know what a pantheon is, a pantheon is a wonderfully ornate building dedicated to multiple gods. That's what pantheon literally means, many gods. And so the emperor said to the pope that he just picked... Here's my present to you. I'm going to give you this beautiful Roman pantheon. Now, it's filled with Roman idols, statues of Roman gods. And the Pope is going, it's kind of like that present you got last Christmas, and you just want to be polite, but it's the most gosh-awful thing you ever had. Uh, Thanks, but I'm going to exchange it. So what Pope Boniface III does is that he takes the Pantheon, says thank you, but then he clears out all the idols and consecrates it to Christian martyrs who have died at the hands of the Romans over the last 300 years. It's kind of like a stick in the eye. Thanks for the building, but now I'm going to dedicate it to what you've done to the Christian tradition kind of fun. But here's what happens. So that was around 607, 610. But here's what happens after that. Once word gets out, what do you think starts to happen? 
People start bringing all kinds of bones because people have been honoring the martyrs for 300 years. They've been keeping their bones. And so now, from all across the Roman Empire, you have people bringing the bones of dead saints to put in this building. And after a while, it just got to be too much. So after about 100 years or so, in the 8th century, the Pope at that time, Pope Greg, Pope Gregory III, says, okay, I have an idea. We don't have any place to put all these bones. However, we are going to dedicate a chapel in St. Peter's Basilica. Do you know what St. Peter's Basilica is? It's that huge, beautiful, ornate church where the Pope actually sits. That's his, that's his seat. That's the, literally the Pope's cathedral, Basilica. And, they believe, and, and tradition is that St. Peter's, um, or Peter's, uh, remains, what's left of him, is somewhere down in the grotto underneath the cathedral, the seat of the Pope. Pope Gregory III says, we're going to dedicate a chapel to all the saints. So we're going to use this occasion now to say, you don't have to bring bones to Rome. We're just going to say that it's go- bones to Rome. Yeah, that's, that's, hmm. You don't have to bring bones to Rome. We're going to dedicate this day in the church calendar as the day that we remember all the saints. And that day happened to be November the 1st, correct. I heard all of you say that. So, yes, so November the 1st. That, my friends, is how we got, got. That's how we arrived at All Saints Day. Now, with all of that history, you're wondering, so what? Again, who cares? Saints are dead. Yeah, we love them. Sure, Peter, Paul, Mary, you know, Oh, huh. Uh, you know, but all of them. Um, but that's, you know, we have enough trouble of our own right at this moment. We're struggling with all kinds of things that the saints, I mean, they're dead. They don't mind. They don't care. And, and we've forgotten about them anyway. And so why honor them? And folks, honestly, that's why All Saints Day has kind of fallen off the radar for most churches. What difference does it make? That's the question that our author of Hebrews is answering. The author of Hebrews, for the first ten chapters, has been wrestling with Jews who have come to accept Jesus as Messiah and the persecution through which they have been going because they have said to their tradition, it doesn't matter about tradition. It matters that the prophecy has been fulfilled. Jesus of Nazareth is the Mashiach. He is the anointed one. He is the Son of God. And how do you think the Jewish establishment is responding to that? We will kill you. We will find you. We will lock you up. We will prosecute you. We will persecute you. We will kill you. Now, be honest with me. Right this moment, If someone were to come up to you face-to-face and say, your life is now in danger because you claim Jesus of Nazareth to be a resurrected Son of God, what would you do? What would you do? 
And I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I would say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'd sweat. I'd be nervous. I'd think, what is this all for? How can I trust this? And my faith would begin to waver. I would lose focus and become distracted by the circumstances. I would think that there's no one around to support me. I'm here all by myself. I would lose fellowship and and begin to divide and and go away. I would lose sight of the finish. I would lose sight of the goal. Really, I'm looking down the barrel of a gun. I'm looking at years in jail. I'm looking at persecution in in my family or in my uh, society. Do I really want to go through that? Faith is gone. Focus is gone. Fellowship begins to dissolve. There's no finish in sight. And this was happening to the Jewish believers. And the author of Hebrews picks up his pen and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes a very long and wonderful letter to the Hebrews to encourage them, to build them up. We begin... Very, and yes, chapter 10, verse 32. If you want to follow along, that's great. I'm going to breeze right through this because I want to tie this together. But beginning at verse 32 of chapter 10, the author writes this But remember, remember, remember. You get the point. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, that means coming to faith, hearing the gospel, receiving the gospel, you endured conflict of sufferings, partly by being made public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers of those who were so treated. Not only did you suffer, but you, sh- you, you, you shared that suffering with fellow believers. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners. You accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves better possession and an abiding one. In other words, you were willing to go through all of this because you knew something in the future that was already real by faith. You kept a laser focus on that. You were in fellowship with other believers. And you knew that there was a finish. You knew that there was something to attain. You held on to that. Well, at least for a while. Verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Your confidence has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul, says God, has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And then the author picks up again in chapter 12, beginning with verse 4. For you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood in striving against the sin that comes against you. And you have forgotten The exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his son, whom his father, does not discipline? In other words, Believers were struggling in the circumstances. 
whether it was persecution, whether it was the threat of death, whether it was uncertainty in the message that they were receiving, they were losing faith. They were losing focus. Their fellowship was beginning to divide. And they had lost sight of the finish line. And these are the things that the author of Hebrews reminds them. You have to remember. You have forgotten. But then the author of Hebrews says, here's how we remember. Here's how we can, and this is where I need my note, because I, don't, I do not want to forget this or lose my microphone. We need to reconnect. We need to refocus. We need to remember. And how do we do that? By looking to the saints, by looking to those who went before us, by looking to those who had a confidence in the word that God has spoken to them, the task that God had given to them, the vision that God had given to them, saying, I cannot and will not disappoint you. I will not abandon you. This will become true. And they believed. And when they believed, the ideal became real. It became tangible. It was something that they strove for. And they had that focus. Whatever I do, whatever I think, I am moving towards that. And they did that in fellowship with those who went before them and came after them. They even did it in fellowship with their family because they knew that there was a finish line. And so Hebrews chapter 11 is the Faith Hall of Fame. For those of you who have been, oh, I've been looking forward to this, I'm not going to read it. I commend you to read it. Read about the men and women. Read about your brothers and sisters that went before you. Read about Cain and Abel. Read about Moses. Read about Noah. Read about the judges. Read about the prophets. Because what they will help us do is that they will help us to remember. They, hmm, the author of Hebrews says it so perfectly in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12. And I'm going to wait because I want all of you to be there, please. Now, I know that uh, Ed Adcock preached on 1 through 3 a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to preach on it. You've heard it. But I'm going to remind us. So chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. After the author has given us that full list of those who have gone before to inspire us, to encourage us, to remind us of the faith, the focus, the fellowship, and the finish that they embraced, the author of Hebrews writes to his audience who are struggling with despair as their faith wavers, who are, fo- who are, who are struggling with distraction because they've lost focus, who are struggling with division because their fellowship with God is beginning to dissolve, and who are wrestling with defeat because the vision of the finish is beginning to fade. And the author of Hebrews writes them and says these things, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, therefore, and therefore connects to everything he has said before. So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all of these people willing to sacrifice, knowing that there was something greater in the future, because we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us 
those of us who are struggling, let us also lay aside everything that gets in the way and the sin which so easily catches us up and entangles us. And by throwing that stuff away, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on whom? Jesus, who is, many of your Bibles read, author and perfecter. The Greek there literally means the pioneer, the one who went before, and the one who perfects what faith looks like. In other words, why did Moses, why did Noah, why did all of our faithful cloud of witnesses, why were they faithful? Because according to the author of Hebrews, Jesus went before them. Think about that. Jesus was there. The incarnation was the fulfillment of that promise, but before the fulfillment of the promise was still the promise that was fulfilled and God would never leave or abandon. And Jesus was there. He was the pioneer. He was the trailblazer. He was making the way so that Moses would know which way to go, so that the judges would know which way to go, so that the prophets would speak the truth. He was there. He was the trailblazer, and he's the perfecter of our faith. He took that faith in full obedience all the way to the cross. Could we do that? Not without Him. And because He did that, Paul reminds us, have that same mind in you that Christ had in Him, who though He was God, did not consider being God something to cling to, to white knuckle. But He let it go and became human and became obedient, obedient even unto death. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess under the earth and on the earth and above the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That He is our finisher. He is our leader. And the Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, that is where to keep your focus. That is what we need to remember. That is what will energize us. That is what will empower us. That is what will inspire us. That is what will keep our faith strong. That should be our focus. That is the source of our fellowship. That is our finisher. Look, let's be honest. It's easy to forget out of sight, out of mind, right? That's why we have graveyards, right? That sounds crass, and it's not meant to be hurtful, but that's why, so we don't forget. But sometimes we forget because it's hard. We forget because it's painful. We forget because who wants to celebrate war? We forget because sometimes it's almost like there's too many other things to concern ourselves with. How can we possibly spend time thinking about dead saints when our church has enough on its own? My friends, when we forget, we take the risk. And that risk was summarized by a, a, an American philosopher by the name of George Santayana. George Santayana wrote, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. We are not condemned. We are rescued. 
we are freed by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Let us not forget those who went before. Let us not forget those who sacrificed and served. Let us not forget the true sacrifice, the one who willingly gave his life for you and for me that we might have life that cannot be exhausted. On this Veterans Day, let us remember the veterans of those who protect this country. And let us remember the veteran who protects our souls. And let us live a life that is exemplary of that veteran by sharing that good news with the world around us. That good news being Jesus Christ. Will you please pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks. I'll just be honest, sometimes it's hard. It's just hard. And sometimes it really is just easier to forget. Lord God, I pray that by your Spirit we never forget your promises. Lord God, we thank you that Jesus himself gave us the sacrament of communion so that we would never forget. The author of the book of Hebrews reminds us that you have surrounded us by a great cloud of witnesses, those that that trust you and have gone before us that we may not forget. Thank you for the gift of memory. Thank you for the gift of celebrations that will bring those memories back to us afresh. And Lord God, in those moments when we struggle, when we wrestle, when we wonder if it's really worth it, if we feel our faith beginning to waver, if we've lost our focus, if we feel that we're no longer in fellowship with you, if we wonder, is there anyone to whom we can look? Remind us to fix our eyes on Jesus, our pioneer in faith, the one who has perfected that faith, that we might enjoy that with him now and forever. And we pray this in his wonderful name. Amen.